And now, do you like Prince movies? Hey everybody, this is Do You Like Prince Movies? I am Alex Papadimus. I'm Wesley Morris. Also, we have Dave Schilling Hello. in the building. Grantland's own, Grantland editor, Dave Schilling. Grantland uh, chief empire correspondent. We, we unilaterally decided before the show that that is now your title. That is on the, we, the, Your new business cards will be waiting. Outside. I worked hard for this job, so I'm glad that I got it. You really for the oh, oh, you were yeah, there I from mean, the beginning. I was, you yeah. were there like like six week, you know six weeks ago when this was on no one's radar before it changed any lives. I dug the ditches. And now <laughs> wait, wait, wait. We can we, Alex? Can we yes. back up for a second? I I think we you and I knew, and I'm sure Dave felt this way too. We just happened to have microphones to to say it. I, my life changed just by watching the trailers. I knew we were going to talk about this show. I knew I was going to be in love with it. And uh, I'm glad that that the rest of America, you know, doesn't always happen with me where I love something that the rest of the country or at least 70 percent. Wait, no. What is the What are the numbers on this? Is it 75 percent of black households of all black American households are watching Empire? Yeah, they call it like um, Super Bowl numbers. That it's, yeah, it's that yeah. pervasive. And it's con- it's uh, consistent, right? It's been it's been holding steady. It's gotten time, stronger yeah. every week. The numbers. Anyway, this week we're going to talk about Empire. We're going to have our latest Empire discussion. We'll keep doing it until the show ends its season um, with our with our excellent uh, Empire correspondent. Uh, hi, Dave. Hey. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, Morrissey's autobiography, which is our book, our Prince movies book club selection of the month <laughs> of and the 18-week month that we break the, down oh alex be nice be I'd nice to me i'm not it's not your fault baby i'm, be blame, good I'm, to blame, me. I'm not blaming you um and we're going to talk about drake's new record if i'm sorry i'm not yeah, no, I heard you, you, <laughs> no i always want to say if you can read this you're too close but it is actually if you're reading That's, this it's that might actually late. be late Right, that actually might be a more appropriate title. But, dude, the overlap between this guy and Morrissey for me is somewhat staggering. To have to like to knock this book out and then re-listen to this record in 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 a couple days span. Whoa! He must be in some sort of K hole right now, just like uh, in the fetal position, crying. So many feelings. <laughs> I just wanna, I just wanna, I just wanna get these two guys together and have them make a baby. Is what I is what I want to do. I Ooh. think that'll solve both their miseries. The Drake Morrissey record, nothing. That that's what it is. You don't get a Smiths reunion, but you get Drizzy and Morrissey watch the Throne tour. Drizzy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're gonna work that on that. That sounds like exactly what that's gonna look like too. Anyway, Dave, let's do it. Let's yeah. talk about Empire. Let's talk about Empire. So when last Alex and I left this wonderful, wonderful program. Uh, what had happened? Uh, we learned that Lucius, Lucius, the the Empire Records mogul, has ALS. He has three sons. Knowing that he is going to die, needs to leave them Empire Records, but only one can run the label. Mm-hmm. And Each Alex and I are still uniquely, puzzled. Yeah, right. <laughs> Which one of us? Yeah. Each one's uniquely unqualified to run the label. They each have the like. They're like. I feel like there's... if they were they were one person, they'd be perfect. <laughs> But unfortunately, right. there are three of them. Yes. 
uh, well, unfortunately for everybody but us. I mean, for us, it's like a bonanza. Thank God there are three of them, even though I'm shocked that one screenwriter could manage to make a person who can do all of these jobs. Um, so we have the three sons, uh, and we have his uh, Lucius's ex-wife, Cookie, who's just gotten out of the slammer and is poised to resume or resume wreaking havoc uh, while also running her her wing of the label. Lucius has a has a has a lady in his life who is also an executive at Empire Records and uh, is is making some changes. And uh, we haven't been with the show. The sh- Prince movie hasn't been with the show in about uh, one, two, three, four episodes, three episodes. Man, a lot has happened in three weeks. Most importantly, the release yes. of the Drip Drop music video, which I just want to say, you know, I wrote about that. It's it's the best music video I've ever seen in my life. Has here's my question about you, you bring up you brought up some important questions. The, the the sort of this is where I was when I decided that you needed to come in and talk to us about uh-huh. this because I I feel like we we both were asking ourselves the same questions as we watched the Drip Drop thing. Because we saw it being made, as, as, you know, as you went into in the thing that you wrote about it for Grantland, the money does not appear to be up there on the screen no. with what they're doing. Not it's not; close. they're not, tip, you know, crashing helicopters into canyons or anything like that. Like any of those kinds of, you know, really crazy Michael Bayish things that you would think. But but there is a point where he asks for an additional million dollars. <laughs> yeah, he, he calls. Andre in the middle of the night begging for more money just to finish it. And I don't know what he what he got out of that, that million dollars. Andre being the eldest son, clearly as CFO of Empire Entertainment, the most qualified, got a degree from Wharton. I don't understand what the mystery is. Why can't he run the label? Well, he, Anyway, go he's, on. He's, he's bipolar. Yeah. That's, that's the excuse. Oh! 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 <laughs> Apparently behavioral problems uh, disqualify oh! you from being a successful business. Business person in this country. So we have to mention at this point, this is a really, cr- I mean, each son is hobbled by a real problem mm-hmm. for which there is no solution. <laughs> Andre is bipolar. Oh no. Jamal, stop the presses, is gay. And Hakeem, what is Hakeem? He likes the ladies. He likes the older ladies. Also, he's, he's just completely stupid. Like, yeah. He's, yes. he's oh, oh, as guileless yes. as humanly possible. Which he in the also, fictional universe of this show disqualifies you from running a record company. In reality, that never really stopped anyone. But you know, he's going to. Yes, here that is it's a concern. I he has some impulse control issues. It's not, you know. Yes, there's there's a number anyway, of things. He's very he's the youngest, right? He's got in, the most. In the yeah. world of this show, the three sons are handicapped. Right. Go on. I. He asks for a million dollars from Andre. To, one to one make. million dollars, I believe it's the, it's to it's after he hears he hears Jamal's song and he wants to accelerate yeah. the production. He wants to get that music video out before Jamal can, say, can release his amazing. Which new song. I guess it, the rush isn't job, it good? The rush <laughs> job on the green screen costs a million dollars. But here's the thing <laughs> that I found really interesting, and it brings me to kind of the questions that I wanted to bring up with you guys. That's I, I've been really looking forward to talking about this with some people, but. 
You sure have. A million. <laughs> I really All have. caps, emails, and texts? I really I believe the last, the, the, the end of the last exchange Wesley and I had over text about <laughs> Empire was Wesley saying, like, I'll catch up this week. And I believe my answer was, see that you do. <laughs> I this I'm really I'm pretty excited about it. So a million dollars and then the following week the video is still 2 weeks away from dropping. There's like so this is a, like I mean that's a question obviously unto itself but it brings me to the sort of the larger question I have about the show. The first I have a number of questions that have fairly obvious answers but I think are also open to different interpretations. The first question is what year is it? On Empire. Mm, that's ooh. a good question because it a good feels question, like a Alex. period piece because there's this like weird emphasis on gang violence and the nation of Islam and everyone dresses um, like it's 1996 kind of. But I think it's supposed to be modern day because there are references to modern day hip hop. Yeah, artists. like Kendrick and everybody yeah. has iPhones and obviously, yeah. I mean, it's supposed to be 2015, but it, it's as if they're sort of they're kind of moving the time frame back as um, needed so that they can have because there's also like corporate America doesn't trust hip hop. It's like that's that's not you know. Surely you jest, sir. <laughs> I think they trust them implicitly. I, yeah. Uh, I, I can I just know. remind yeah. you guys about the, given the time warp we're in? I just want to reiterate what the diseases are on this show. <laughs> I just want to reiterate that it's bipolar disease and homosexuality. <laughs> it's probably 1968 <laughs> in England. <laughs> yeah, it, it does seem like there's a there's a Stone Age mentality to it, but. My rationale for, you know, this being the way that it is, is this show exists in Empire World. It doesn't exist in the real world where people behave like normal human beings. This is a world where everyone is constantly scheming and people don't wear clothes to restaurants and show off their, their bodies and, and, and all kinds of things that you would never do as a normal person. So, yeah, you know, I, I accept it. It's fine. I move on. Empire is a special little jewel unto itself in in the the fox crown, and I just ignore all the stupidity. It's like one okay. of those those planets in Interstellar where if you, the, the time <laughs> moves at a different pace when you're on the surface. It's Cookie's plan. planet. It's Cookie's. It is Cookie's yeah. planet. Well, I mean, that's also this is also my question. Who is the protagonist in mm. your mind? Good of question. Empire? I I know it's an ensemble, but. There is somebody like let's say season seven of Empire, the season finale. Like whose eyes close when that and when it when does it end at that so, point? Like in my mind, that obviously Cookie is the most c- compelling character because sh- it's just the performance of Traji P Henson. Like she's just that good that you don't care about the other characters half as much as you care about her because she's just so entertaining and so larger than life. Even and, when she's playing five or six parts in one sh- one episode, yeah, where like her performance is, it like, definitely you know, wavers from like kind of uh, you know demure to to Real Housewives of Atlanta to like sexy. To, she does a lot in that in that show, but every yes. note feels genuine and honest, and I believe it, and I love her. I don't think we're talking enough about Portia, frankly. <laughs> Well, look, there's going to be time I because Portia is going all the way. Amazing I think, I think Portia. Portia, Portia is Jacoby's favorite character, if I remember yeah. correctly. Portia is Jacoby's great. all on, on board with Portia. Yes, Cookie's assistant Portia. Let's let's take let's take let's have a 
let's just sort of give everybody some context for where we are right now. This is from episode, I believe it's the fourth episode, uh, or maybe it's the last episode. This is the fifth this episode is, in which this is last Lucius, week yeah, Lucius has Cookie come over to make an important announcement. Cookie thinks she's walking into one thing and winds up stepping into something else. Mm-hmm. I believe we're further along in the scene, so she's already found out that it's not what she thinks it is. She's been brought to a. She's, it's the second half of the scene, I think. If we're if we're it's the, the up beginning, right. she uh, she's trying to find out what to wear, and that's kind of like a human moment of her like going through. Yes, the there's a, there's a romantic session. comedy montage, yeah. more or less, of her finding an outfit to wear to meet Lucius because she's thinking her ex husband, who she thinks is trying to get back together with her, after discovering that the rose of death. Now, this is the other thing about this show. <laughs> Cookie is ordered a hit on a mobster who she thinks is going to come after her because she finds his trademark signature of death on her doorstep, only to find out that it was left by Lucius, who was just doing it to be cute. So she's already killed someone for no reason. <laughs> in our living room. <laughs> Singing the point of it all. Oh, it's beautiful. This is Anika, who I can't stand. I love you. I love you, too. Dad doing it big. So let me get this straight. Last Wednesday, you come to my house and give me a rose after you propose to that bitch. Watch yourself, Cookie. Watch yourself, she talking about? The rose was a a friendly reminder of where we were yesterday. That's all it was. Hmm. Friendly. You think I came here dressed like this for a friendly get-together? Negligee alert. Yeah, you have to use your imagination. By, by the way, if you want to send a friendly reminder, try email, dog. <laughs> what the Again, heck? which year is this? Exactly. <laughs> Thank you, Dave. Roses at people's doorsteps. Come on, man. I know. What are you, look, Rudolph look, Valentino? And, and also, Jeez. I'm sorry, I hate to be like this, but wouldn't, wouldn't Lucius know that that was that other dude's calling card of death like he knows what i mean i just feel like that's a weird thing for him to like just forget that one of his one of his rivals mm, that might have been what he would have used to tell somebody they were going to die he's forgotten that that street life though oh he's all about that done. life just is like not... jay-z he's moved on he's he's in the penthouse now he does it yeah the, the he's rusty on the you know the the uh, symbolic language of uh you know. Okay, well, I fully expect you guys to represent Lucius when he goes to trial, too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, it's weird. It's weird to watch. Yeah, it's, it's, it's weird to even listen to Terrence Howard in that scene and hear him kind of stammering and not be all the way in control of it. It's absolutely Taraji Henson's show in that sense. You know, he's he, he's it, 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 I don't know. It's interesting. I feel like he would have the, the sort of, you know, premium prestige cable version of this would be very much about Terrence Howard as an anti-hero and I think there's something really interesting and sort of changes the valence of the whole thing to have pretty much the log line of every scene is Cookie walks in does something crazy yeah or, you know it's, it's, not only is she like the the agent of chaos on the show but she's also the character with the most clear narrative arc like she's starting coming in trying to achieve something Lucius already has everything. All that's, yeah. that's left for him is to, you know... Is death. Death, to die, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and then I guess Jamal would probably be the other option for the protagonist because he's also got the journey of trying to figure out his identity and find out where he belongs in the world and, and become an artist and all that stuff. But everybody else is just kind of like second-tier characters. Right. Okay, before we, before we leave this situation, 
I just want to I just want to throw out some of my favorite things that have happened in the last couple of weeks. Uh, there's pity for when Jamal has to leave his daddy subsidized penthouse or apartment to move to Bushwick. Tears, tears everywhere. Bushwick, which is portrayed on this show as pretty much being the, the worst place in the whole it, world. Yeah, it's like the the wilder zone. Yes, like, it's Beirut. <laughs> it's Beirut. Um, I love Sister Fatima, who who's Titan, the the jailed, secretly gro- good rapper Titan. That's his mother. Um, I like that Lucius just calls Tiana's girlfriend a thought. And nobody says it. Nobody's like, there's no footnote or anything. Like, that is, a, that is like, this show is for that 70%. I'm they don't saying. explain anything. <laughs> Derek Luke shows up as an ex-Navy SEAL who was clearly going to put his penis in Taraji Henson at some point. Right? He was spitting this game is, hard. Hard This game. is right after we get a line... <laughs> In which Cookie says, she answers to her question about what, what Jamal is up to. What does she say to him? What does she say to the boyfriend? He's becoming a top. Yep. <laughs> also not the, footnoted. <laughs> the yes. studio, the studio where, where Jamal goes to cut his not necessarily ghetto ass hit that actually is really good is called Ghetto Ass Studios. <laughs> I mean, is this not the greatest television show that has ever been on TV? I look, it's up there for me. It's certainly the greatest television show that is currently on TV for me. What you doing standing there looking like the Phantom? <laughs> <laughs> That's Cookie to to Andre when he's standing there holding the rose that Lucius has left on her doorstep but she still thinks it's the gangster trying to kill her. Anyway, Dave, you're going to come back. I would love to. I think it's all I talk about now. Andre is really go- uh, by the way, I-, I think Andre's a sleeper. I think Andre's actually going to be there's going to be an Andre crazy arc that will <laughs> I'm not in on that. No. I don't want that money. I think it's time, no, you know, thank you. it's going to happen. It's coming. I'm walking away from that. It, it, yeah, no, it's it, it, it's coming. That's I, I can feel it. I think everything is going to turn over at some point. We haven't even talked about Courtney Love, but I think that's self-explanatory. Like all I need uh, to Courtney Love have, playing Courtney Love on the TV show Empire. Yeah, it's very exciting to does, see her. Lives in a seedy motel, but has an assistant. <laughs> yep, I would fire the <laughs> assistant. She doesn't live. That's her drug den. Yeah, that's yeah, where she but gets isn't it that on. her place of re- residence? I mean, is that not? She must yeah. have something. I mean, I want to know who's going to buy Courtney Love. The Courtney Love album where she sings "Take Me to the River." <laughs> well, like, that's the point. What, that's the what point. Starbucks, like, Starbucks will sell. But that. Cookie doesn't make her change her mind. Cookie just wants her to sing with more soul. Well, that's like, the, yeah. Court, mean, Cookie it, isn't like why? Why after you singing this song? My favorite thing I think about this show is the number of times, and it's happened a number. Of, like certain people have this power on the show; they have the superpower, and it's the thing that Lucius and Cookie really have in common: is the ability to give somebody one note on their performance mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. while mm-hmm. they're recording a song. One note that transforms garbage into gold instantly. Like suddenly, there is it's like you know, just like 
they are just nailing it to the wall in a way that they never have been before. And all it takes is like, I mean, in Cookie's case, she does have to go through the sort of rigmarole of saying like, take off your jewelry, take off all the furs and all that stuff. But it's the same. It's usually it's the same note. And with Lucius, he actually thinks is like, think about the worst thing that's ever happened to you, which is your brother got shot or something like that. Yeah, that I mean, very, I don't. That, that's producing. That's how producing I don't know how works. How Lucy, on Lucius and Cookie aren't making Selma too, like. They, these two people could be making great movies together based on the direction they're giving singers. I just, <laughs> I don't know why this isn't happening. Anyway, Dave, stick around. We're going to talk about Drake. We'll be right back. She do it all night. She going hard, right? She loves spotlight. She make that thing go. So Thursday night... We were all minding our own business, and then suddenly, seemingly without warning, I guess there had been, there had been the the jungle video had dropped earlier in the day, right? There was something like that was there was a there were there was some warning if you knew you know that it was going to happen, but pretty much out of nowhere, here's a Drake record. I'm all in favor of this. I'm not in favor of everybody comparing it to Beyonce as if that is now the thing that we will see. It's just a thing now that, like, Beyonce is going to be like Xerox for this sort of thing. It's It's, Yeah, she's scotch tape. I feel like he was trying to temper our expectations by calling it a mixtape. It's just a mixtape. But it does cost dollars Yeah, I remember when I was a kid, a mixtape was a tape, and you'd have to go to some CD place to, to, to get it. But this is a, a mixtape that's on iTunes and Spotify and all that stuff. It's like a thought experiment, though, calling it a mixtape because it changes your expectations, right? It changes the idea, you know, of what you're what you're going to get. And this is very much it does not have the hallmarks of a Drake album. It does not, or of anybody's album. It doesn't have, you know, there are not a lot of celebrity cameos. There's not, it's you know, relatively minimalist production but it's not also it doesn't have that mixtape quality it's not half-assed it's not like he's he's really trying he's really doing it it's like you know perhaps that's just because drake has no other setting except 10 just going all the way i'm just gonna sit back and let y'all take over i listen this is one of those things i really like this record and i have been much like a certain cultural thing, I find that this is this is what I'm becoming. This is my sort of default position now, um, which is I, I start to get mad. I, I seek out people to get mad at who don't like the things that I like. Not literally like I yell at them. But, you know, I read I, I was I've been reading some uh, mainstream press clips about this album for some reason. I don't know why I was looking up some particular detail. For example, I don't know. It's like on like the like, you know, the 2020 website where Hugh Downs reviews albums or something. I don't know what it was. <laughs> I would was, read that. <laughs> I would read Hugh Drake. Downs on Drake. Piers Morgan is reviewing Drake this week. Oh, I hope so. Yeah, I, I don't know. Is the headphones Dan Aqualante? I forget like what I was actually looking at, but it was some kind it was something where it's like and all the song preached the uh, digitized vocals are literally unlistenable. I I don't know how that is that you can't handle that. Uh, whoever I'm <laughs> strawmanning here, or whatever that argument is against, I don't know. I it, I really like this record, and I did not like the previous Drake record that much. And I don't know that I'm going to like the next one that much. I don't know that I really want him in that uh, sort of this is my definitive album statement mode. I kind of like it. I kind of like it slipping out. I kind of like that sort of like that mixtape as snapshot version of Drake, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a really strong record. I think it's just it's I can see why it's not his album. You know, I can. But I, I, I still think it's really good. And I kind of wish. That, I don't you know. know what. See, here's the thing for me. 
I don't I I don't know jack doo-doo about mixtape whatever like i there was a i went to itunes one day as i do every day there was a drake record there i bought it i didn't know it was a mixtape i just thought it was drake album and i'm not here i'm hearing this as an album i find the mixtape thing kind of a cop-out like as you noted dave the mixtape is uh, it is not I'm not paying this for it's just not doesn't work this way. Yeah, me. I went to look for it and I thought, oh, it'll be on SoundCloud or I can I can get a zip file. Oh no, it's on iTunes for ten dollars or whatever it costs. That was me too. I was kind of like, oh, let's go to then Datpiff will have it for me for nothing. But in fact, <laughs> it is not. I was I was waiting for him to say like you have to go to Tower Records. You have to find a Tower Records to buy this album. You have to get. I mean, wouldn't to that be charming? Wouldn't yeah. that be charming? Well, anyway, least, yeah, you have to re, you have to build it. You have to open a Tower Records. <laughs> God speaks for, from the mountaintop. Build re- a Tower Records and make an album. If Everyone anybody's going to say that, if God's going to say that to anybody, I think at this point it's probably it, there's like it's like Taylor Swift, Beyonce, and Drake. Drake would the want to rebuild some sort of Canadian record chain that doesn't exist anymore. He, I don't know what that would be necessarily. The coconuts. Which brings us. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Who, who knows? FYE. Drive to this, the one the, FYE. There's a warehouse. There's music. one. There's still one. It's in South Jersey. It's We can be there by dawn. Pick it up. So, like, yeah, go ahead. I have some questions about you guys for this. Or, or I have some questions to you guys about this. I want to talk about the sickness of things. I want to talk about his, you know, there was a, there was this whole outcry in, in the Canadian media about a year ago or, yeah, I mean, you know, eight months ago when it was announced that he was going to call this record something else. I think a view from the six and that's still the Canadian, album title because this is not the album. Yeah, this is the mixtape. So oh, I know, I know. Give, it, it's, give it a dude. Give it a rest. We get it. <laughs> for this is as far as I'm concerned, this is an album, dude. Just, you know, it's ah. just the same as being like it's a state of mind, but it's it's you react to something differently. I'm like, oh, here's my here's my blog post about Empire versus here's All my right. essay about Empire. You know, right, that analogy just shut me up. In the meantime, <laughs> what was the, the so the sickness? Let Let's just talk about Toronto being his home and how proud he is of being in Toronto and how annoyed Toronto was for a minute. I have been to Toronto since that news broke. <laughs> They're okay with Drake again. But this idea that, you know, he wants to rename Toronto the Six. Uh, be- perhaps because there are two, uh, there are two area, two area codes with the Six in them. Uh, perhaps because Toronto is a city that was comprised of six other cities and a rather slapdash mix of convergence. Um, I'm doing. I'm giving what actually happened very short shrift, but that is essentially how Toronto, as we come to know it, has come to be. That's a lot of. You have a lot of Toronto. This is like when Alice Cooper knows all that stuff about Milwaukee in Wayne's World. Yeah, I, I don't like going out. to cities and not knowing anything about them. It's important. Um, to do anyway, it's important to. It's you know Toronto is in my life in some ways, and you know when you go to Toronto, you really do notice how you know I've been there since before you know before Drake was Drake, and since Drake was Drake, and Toronto they like Drake. I mean they're they're proud of him. You know a, a section the part of Toronto that, that that needs to be proud of Drake is proud of Drake, or that that would be inclined to be. Um, it's like an equestrian statue of him. Yeah, in and the I center just of you know Toronto. I. I 
I like the thing I love about particularly this particularly this record because this to me seems like the most sort of Toronto centric work that he's made um, or the one in which Toronto is as much a character uh, as another city. Uh, I was just struck by that. I don't know if it did it strike you guys at all. I'm not surprised. I mean, I feel like he's doubled down hard on being the guy from Toronto. Because there's never been mm-hmm. the guy from Toronto. You know, you can't ever be the guy from L.A. Because there's Jim Morrison or there's Randy Newman or whoever the I think Leslie Feist would beg to differ, but go on. <laughs> I mean, in terms of true cultural... No, like, I, of you course. Know. You're uh, never going to solely own that. In in, As, in Toronto? No, uh, like, uh, I'm oh, yeah, saying yeah. like L.A. LA like you gotta, you got to share when you're an artist in Los Angeles. But Toronto is kind of besides like kids in the hall or other you know comedians there's there's not a lot of stuff that's broken through from toronto so he's the man why not you know i don't think that the raptors would be nearly as trendy without drake sitting courtside every single night um mm-hmm. i think it, it, it adds another layer to his persona to be so tied to a city i think there's you know a lot of hip-hop artists who have that identification and drake's always been seen as a clown for being from canada like, oh, he's soft, he's biracial, he was on a soap opera, and he's from Canada. How lame can you be? That's like the ultimate confluence of nerdy things. Um, so I'm glad he's owning it. I think it's great. Yeah, and he's increasing. I mean, that's what's sort of interesting is not it's not just that he's doing this in spite of those things. He's actually really, like, he's talking about since, you know, I had this dream since I was Jimmy or whatever. He's really talking about that past and that history, and it's almost like the the degree to which he's not running from it becomes something he's, you know, sort of something boastful almost, like that I'm going to, like, I'm going to be honest about what my persona is, uh, all that. Also, you can't, all I'm going to say, just to put the Toronto thing down for a second, is that it, it was not working when we were calling it the T.O., that never worked. That never really rolled off the tongue. No, this was part of the Canadian complaint as well. Like, well, what do we want to call ourselves? T dot O was not a. The that was T. a disaster. Dot. Yeah. Yes. T dot was a disaster. Yeah. Um, um I, 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 I want to push back against something that you guys are talking about here, and this is the idea that, like, I do feel like there is a defensiveness with him, though. Along the lines of his like that, that comes straight from his biography, right? I think that there is a way in which the fact that he was on Degrassi Junior High and is biracial and is from Canada and didn't grow up with a life of crime. I think these are all narratives that in hip hop, you know, might cast a cloud of doubt over him, which means that. You know, he he suffers from the thing that black people in the larger white world have to deal with all the time, which is being twice as good as everybody else. Drake has to, in his mind, be, you know, quadruple as good as as every other rapper. And I think that one of the but he does a lot of shorthand and a lot of signifying. And I think one of the ways he does that is use of the N word, like just to like perform how down and 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 you know, okay he is. Like, he is licensed to use the N-word. It's the second or third, if not the first word you hear on this record. Um, I will say there's been a lot of... I've had a hard time getting these songs in my head and these hooks in my head and then walking around and then sort of... I have to stop. I just can't... I can't really wrap this to myself as I'm going... It's so much more fun when you can say it. It's great. I I recommend you try it at least once. 
just just in your Alex room. Alex and I have had this conversation before. I'm not uh, like dying because I can't do. I, there's plenty of songs for me, but uh, yeah, no. But I, I have no. All I'm saying is I have noticed that with this because it just it just gets in your head and it's a, you know, I don't know. Go on. But then there. But then I don't know. I just feel like that is sort of for me always the tension with these records, and I feel like. I don't know exactly what kind of album should come out of that tension, but I always feel like he's doubling down in the in the in the I'm down direction. And what I like about a record like, um, you know, Alex, I know you don't like this song, but I really, um, you know, the the single from the last record. Hold on, um, we're going home. Hold on, we're going home. I, I there's something kind of nakedly. I mean, I, I think the thing that's appealing about Drake generally is that there's a nakedness to all of the records. But but this is, for me, the first one. I mean, that, for me, was, was one of the few in which the, naked, the sort of emotional nakedness met up with a sort of oral freeness to try something that he would never have previously tried. Um, and I liked that. Uh, and I, and I'm not saying that he has to make a pop record. I'm not accusing him or of, of necessarily having to be a Taylor Swift to do something that, that, you know, is declaratively a pop record, but I don't know how you guys feel about this, but I am curious about, this is a person who has demonstrated an interest in being more than just, he's got a lot of slashes, right? You know, he's got a, he's a rapper slash, 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 slash. I'd like to see some of all that slashiness wind up on a record. Um, and I'm not even, it doesn't even have to be collaborative. Although, I mean, I guess one of the only ways to maybe get at that is to, is to work with somebody, somebody totally new and outside his comfort zone. Um, but maybe, I mean, cause I do, because I do like this album slash mixtape. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm listening to it as I do with Drake often and wonder, what else he can do it'd be such a gamble for him though to to go all the way away from the post the posturing is is part of what has made it acceptable for people to like drake Uh, if he wasn't posturing i feel like he would alienate a certain subsection of his audience more so than even even taylor swift's making a pop record because i think country and pop music are basically the same thing at this point i mean there's there's slight oral uh differences but it's this it's the same thing and that it, it, it captures you at a gut level and gets in your head that kind of stuff i think it'd be it'd be problematic for him just in the same way that in an empire to go back to that real quick that hakeem has to be constantly aware of the fact that he is from wealth and jamal too and jamal doesn't make great music until he moves to bushwick and you know hits trash cans with his with a stick and realizes that he can, you know, make music that that hurts. I'm so sorry we didn't talk about that scene until right now. <laughs> it's okay. Do you feel another, like I mean, <laughs> we have years and years of this? There's yeah, no, exactly. There, there, there's, there's time. Do, do you feel like how, how much do you think Jamal is supposed to be a Drake-like figure? There's a, you know, not not talking about sexuality, which is a you know plot point in the show, but in terms of you know the analogies it's hard to watch empire without thinking about who's supposed to be who you know obviously tiana rihanna is the most you know tiana equals rihanna and that's you know, that's she's the control like she's the, the, that's the you know the zero sum. yes i always think about you know um kanye actually for and, jamal and with jamal not not the aesthetics but certainly like 
the need to express himself deeply. Um, mm-hmm. I get I get a Kanye vibe of just being tortured by whatever that is. And I think Drake on some level, but Jamal doesn't have that tough guy persona yet. Maybe that's going to be a thing down the road, um, but I don't I don't see it as of yet. Yeah. Um, or even just like Solange Knowles, <laughs> I, I get a Solange vibe from him. And mm, they're constantly that's like, actually oh, that's super smart. Yeah. Hipsters like like Jamal. You know, he's in Brooklyn, and Solange tried super duper hard to be like the hipster version of Beyonce. Yeah, but and the only thing that Solange has done for me of interest since you know she became so like you know in the last four or five years is is when the night falls that chromio record which i think she's great on and should just maybe make a chromio record without chromio i want to see who the empire equivalent of the of montreal guy is <laughs> i can't wait for that whatever that whatever that i think that was courtney love i get well yeah, yeah maybe we start mixing and matching <laughs> and you know obviously she could serve a number of roles you know yeah. just steering in that direction i i don't know i feel like at this point uh, you know there i've gone through a long it's been a long saga with drake i still remember the point when i think it was chris ryan who first played me the uh, grantland zone chris ryan who first played me you know some tracks from nothing was the same and I was aware of him, but had immediately written him off for the reasons that you wrote Drake off in 2000, whatever it was. It was just like, oh, the guy from Degrassi. 13? Miss me with that. (laughs) No, I mean, like, the really early, like, the, what did I say? Oh, sorry, 2000. No, I said nothing was the same. I'm I'm talking about the, the, the one with the black and white cover where the letters are kind of piled up in a pyramid, whatever. That, that approximate era, the very sort of, you know, pretty early. I remember, I remember being like, you can't, you can't be serious about this. And then gradually I keep, you know, each stage I sort of grow into. And I've grown to like the hard Drake now, the sort of like, I feel like that's no longer like he is sort of, he is inhabiting that persona fully for me. Zero to a hundred was one of my favorite songs of the last six, seven months. I really like that song. And that's like prototypical hard Drake. Like I'm going to show off how tight I am. Uh, and, you know, he's grown on me. It, leaps and bounds like you too every single album cycle i'm like i like him a little bit more he's really endearing and he's he wants to be loved so much that we should just love him just give him what he wants i mean i think the leap from thank me later which is the out which is the record alex you're talking about is that right? Is that what you're talking about? It's like it was like mixtape Drake, like early. The, oh, it was pre because well, I remember like sort of I, it was before the Kanye video with the the uh, the you know that weird Kanye Juggies video that he did for that song. That sort of you know very the, the oh very, was so far gone. Is that what you're talking the very about? Exploitive cheerleader thing. Um, oh yeah, that was a weird moment for Kanye. That was kind of, I don't know how hard Kanye was trying there artistically. <laughs> That's strange. He has his moments where you know he's just kind of coasting. Not so much anymore, but that like after I guess late registration. There was yeah. He's kind of like eh, yeah, maybe he's going to do. He may have felt also like oh nobody's going to see this. Right. <laughs> it's not going to be it's not going to go down in history, you know. Uh that was Anyway, we're going to let's play let's play something from Jungle and we can go back to if you're reading this. Oh, this is a beautiful song. 
cool, man. The only reason this is a non-hugging podcast is because we're in two different cities normally. So yes, absolutely. I yeah. This is a really good late night record. I really I like that it's you know. The whole record is a good late night record. I've been, yeah, yeah. I've been driving around to it a lot, and that's been really good for various reasons. Just you know, errands. I've been doing like the same thing, but slowly swerving into oncoming traffic. So I have to stop doing that. <laughs> I just get real sleepy. And it's Whoa. a little too down. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's, yeah. No. I. Yeah. There's something about. It, I don't know. I. Somebody compared it on. I saw somebody compare it to. This is a weird. The weirdest comparison that I saw, but that's like weirdly apt. If you know this record, it is it's it is the nearly god record it's like the tricky album nearly god which is the one that's like oh. a duets record that follows yeah, 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 yeah. follows max and quay and it's before pre-millennium tension it's that sort of which i i really love that album it's not much less dark and depressing than that because it's you know sort of like that that record is very sort of there's a lot of like tricky it's real of. there's some good duets on there nana there's that like really good nana cherry thing and there's a bjork uh terry there's hall a bjork duet like, keep your mouth shut that one. Oh yeah bubbles is a great song yeah no that, if you've um, never you, you i'm just gonna recommend i'm not even gonna qualify the recommendation no, saying yeah, if you sorry whatever. nearly god Go that's a really find good that record it's a good comparison. I mean, I, I think that, you know, there is a sort of sonic tightness to that record that is similar to this one. Um, it's I think, real simple I think, and real, yeah. It's yeah, and it's not, it also isn't the record. It's that record, I think, Nearly God, the the tricky record, is it rebuts the expectation that he was supposed to go to some other place after Max and K. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I feel like Drake, the same thing that Drake is doing with this with this mixtape. <laughs> Um, every, you get madder yeah. every time, and I laugh harder every time. <laughs> just, the wound I, I mean, never closes. I can expect. I can. I can respect that. I also, yeah. I also think that 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 this that that uh, if you read this, if you're reading this, gets at something that I really love about Drake, which is just how. Un- I mean, he is the loneliest person in popular music. It doesn't matter how many women he gets. How many phone numbers? He is constantly warning women away from him. Look, you don't know what this life is like. I know you want to get all up in this, but you can't because you just, it's like. His he, mom wants to hook him up with her With trainer. a nice woman with his trainer. Nice right? woman. <laughs> you can just see that woman, right? You can see her apartment. Like, you can see all that. Like, and you can see what Drake's mom is. I see a haircut like, more than I see anything else. Drake's mom is, I pictured, I saw like furnishings. I saw, I saw like some I saw like a CB2 layout of some sort where it's like you know oh God. Maybe Drake, of, Drake just hung up on the podcast <laughs> well, exactly, just accused him of shopping at CB2 no not for Drake <laughs> he was listening enjoying this up thoroughly. until now he was like this is awesome wait a minute <laughs> wait a CB2 it's like these guys don't even know me <laughs> I got a three million dollar mortgage on two houses CB2 no, I don't mean him I know he's <laughs> buying people the mall <laughs> he buys someone. that's another great line we bought one lady a purse Another lady got a truck, and then another lady got a mall, like an entire uh-uh, Drake. I'm not, I'm not leaving until I get my mall. That's a weird gift. You have to really, like, it's probably, like, you know, there's a lot of maintenance. Yeah. You'd have to, like, when you transfer the title of an entire, you have to figure out, like, all the, you know. He's got time on his hands. Yeah, I'm the, sorry. Can we, there's some the $30 million dollar mortgage, parenthetically, can we go back to That's that for a second? <laughs> 30, 30 didn't rhyme with anything. He could have picked a more reasonable number that didn't make his accountants look dumb. But no, he picked thirty million. <laughs> no, dog, that's not how we do. 
That's not how we do in Drake World. Oh, wait, is it three? It's three. I'm sorry. It's $3 million. Whatever. Still. Like, <laughs> $3 million mortgage. Give me this. Is it crazy? But no, it's, I, I, I see where you're going with this, Wesley, because I think what you're talking about is performative loneliness that may stem, in fact, from real loneliness, which I believe leads us to our next segment. I don't know if you were, if that's the bridge you were trying to build, but I feel uh, like... A little bit, but I mean, I would like to stay and ex- like for at least a couple more minutes explore Drake's loneliness because I do find it fascinating. But I mean, it's true that he and Morrissey, as I said earlier, do have something in common, which is this. I mean, Drake is obviously much more performatively sexual than Morrissey is, but but Morrissey, contrary to his own self belief, is not asexual. That is not the energy that he gives off. He actually is, to me at least, incredibly sexual. And yet is never satisfied or interested in complete and total sexual and romantic companionship. He flirts with it, but it is never, it is never, he abstains from it. And I think that Drake is sort of predisposed to want to be sexually satisfied, but is constantly underwhelmed by the act of, of, of sexual engagement and is disappointed with the expectations that come with having a woman in his life and whether they're self-imposed or whether they're imposed upon him. But so much of what he writes about is the discrepancy between what, what his life ought to be. And this is the other thing that I like about, um, (laughs) Oh my God, this song whose title I can never remember. Um, you know, we're going home. You know that. Hold on, know. we're going home. Hold on, we're going home. I, there's a kind of tenderness to that song. I know, Alex, you dispute that, and you think it's just a hookup song. But I think there's like, I mean, and there's a vulnerability to, to most of the songs on most Drake records. Beneath all the braggadocio, which is obviously his 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 calling card in terms of popularity and appeal, I think the thing that is underneath all that, unlike a lot of rappers who will say they're tender, I think there is a true tenderness under that. And I think all of the, like, I'm the greatest in the world is just, like, it's kind of an act. And I think, I don't know, I'm not going to say that I know the real Drake, but I think part of whoever this this, like, composite persona is, I think so much of of anything that's real about it has to do with this like deep sort of pathological dissatisfaction. I think that's a very like mid early to mid twenties male attitude. You know, Mm -hmm. I have this power and I need to show off this power, but when I get any sort of real connection, I back away. You know, you think about relationships that you get into the hypothetical you, um, where you meet someone and you have this intense connection, but then you start to doubt either yourself or them or your interest in pursuing it any further, and you end it for reasons that you can't even like uh, articulate. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, what Drake is tapping into, whereas with Morrissey, Morrissey's tapping into that teenage attitude of, I just want this so bad, and I don't even know why I want it, but I want it. Because he can't... Morrissey can never tell you why he needs love so much. He just does. And that's, He's always pre-disappointed by it. Like, yeah. he doesn't even experience love in order to have it mm-hmm. ruined for him. It's pre-ruined. It's just like, never going to happen for me. I am hopeless. It's the teenage mentality. And Drake is more in, like, I, I really think, like, post-college. Like, I have money. I have a car. I can go out. I can drink. I can party. But then at the end of the night, I go home and I'm by myself. 
because nobody measures up. Well, with Morrissey, it's like there is this ideal that exists that you can't get to. And I feel like with Drake, it's like I'm living within what should be the ideal. Mm -hmm. And I'm not. Why am I not happier? Right. You know, which is a sort of, you know, universal thing in a way. It's like that you get to a point you think that something's going to make you happy and then it doesn't. And then you're, you're, you know, like obviously like he's constantly thinking about the past and constantly retracing the things that led him to this stage. And there's a lot of stuff on this record, like just just weird details about like when he was selling gerbo jeans and stuff. And like, that's a great line too. The, you know, so the, the hatchback way before hashtags. But then also like there's that line about when he's turning 28 and he's talking about like, I want to go back not to not to do things. Di- I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but it's not to do things differently, but he wants to go back and have certain experiences again for the first time. Which is a crazy way to think about your life in a way. I, like I understand that, but it's a it's mm. a weird sort of disappointed place to be at that like you really want to get back to that point. Like that's what I, I think I like about this record is I think there's not, you know, it's it's not sort of celebratory in that in that way. It's not like it, it, I feel like it's a little truer to the place that he's actually at, and I sort of I you know I I dig that place. I re, I relate to it. I'm also I can't wait till he's 40. I'm um, there's certain people. I'm <laughs> I was so going to say that, no, but I didn't want to be that guy. No man, it's not not because of not because what I, I like. I'm really excited. Like there's a lot of people that I'm excited about that point when they become like the legacy artist who's just around because we don't really we have no model for what a 40 year old Drake is going to be like. There's no we have no sense of that. Like in terms of musically, like that evolution, we just don't, you know, we there's not that many things, the versions of that. I can't wait for the midlife crisis records that are going to happen. They are going to be off the chain. I, well, I mean, you say that that we don't have a we don't have a comparison, but I mean, in a much less. I mean, I think Alanis Morissette is a good corollary. <laughs> I think wow. Liz Fair is a good corollary. No, I'm serious. No, I believe. I mean, you. these are these are these are these are options. These are options, right? He can go the Liz Fair out and turn into a woman who used to sing about who, who you know made the greatest relationship album, maybe at least one of the five greatest relationship albums ever made. And now is like what making music that sounds to me like a woman driving around in in, in you know driving the kids to soccer, which is incredibly less interesting both to her and to the listener. Um, or you could do the Alanis Morissette thing and and and. I don't know, try to find variations on emotions you no longer have. Um, I am too curious about about how this will go for for Drake, because, I mean, it is interesting. Um, But, I mean, Marvin Gaye is another good example of somebody who who aged before our eyes. But, you know, when Marvin Gaye was was that age, he was doing Let's Get It On and uh, sexual healing. Sorry, that's what I meant to say. So, I don't know. I mean, I'm assuming that Drake will continue to make sexual healing. Yeah, I mean, how how elastic is that personality, that persona that he's developed? It's hard to say. This is, yeah, no, I mean, this, this is the grand is, question. This is, right, this is what we're eager to find out. Anyway, we're going to, we'll be right back, talk about Morrissey's actual autobiography memoir. Dave, yes. it's a pleasure. I mean, you can stick around. We're not, we're not throwing you out. Oh, okay. <laughs> we're not, I mean, we if don't have to throw you out. I have to stay. Dave, that's enough. <laughs> Go away. Quite enough of you. For one day Dave now. hasn't done the reading, but we'll, you know, Alex, did you bring your copy of the book? You can give it to him. I have some, yeah, I have some, uh, some reading that I'll be doing from it, but I can pass it across the table. Uh, okay. We'll be right back.
right. So I read this book. Was I think it was over? I mean, I I, it, I was given it as a, a Christmas gift. Um, so I read it around that time, and I think it was the first book that I finished in 2015. Um, it's the I, I said this when we, when I announced it as the the, the book we we're going to be reading for for uh, the book club. I, this is the best rock book I've read in kind of a while. Not for the usual reasons either. You know, it's not really there's nothing really salacious about it, and the most sort of gossipy parts of it are in in a way the least interesting. There's, you know, there's that way too long section about uh, Mike Joyce and that the, the Smith's lawsuit that's just kind of deathly and, you know, goes on forever. And uh, he I seems found to... that interesting. I don't think it I mean, I agree that it that it is not nearly as interesting as almost the rest of the book. Uh, but I mean, as 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 a cl- as a point of clarification, I found it interesting. I mean, it's interesting, yeah, to also to read about all of his their you know the the struggles with rough trade and you know the fact that the Smiths became the cultural force that they became almost in spite of their record company. In a way, mm-hmm. it seems like they really uh, yeah, and in spite of many of them. <laughs> yes, I mean Sire Records slash Warner Brothers, rough trade. They kind of it's weird. It's like it's weird to read about them. I mean, I know it's it's Morrissey writing the book, so he's going to be real Morrissey about it. But like it, when you read this book, it's kind of like they failed and failed and failed and failed and failed and then became loved anyway. They became a sort of huge phenomenon, but almost, you know, in spite of themselves. Yes. Uh, so other thing about it. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say before you go on. Thank you for making me read this book. Um, it is the best. It is the best written, and I would say most entertaining and moving of this genre of 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 biography slash autobiography. I've well, I will just stick it with autobiography that I've that I've read. Uh, I tend to avoid these books unless they come highly recommended. Um, I mean, I think the auto the Andre Agassi book that he wrote um, is really great, but I mean, he was also working with you know, a really good writer who like shaped a lot of that material and made it what it was. I, you know, this is, this allegedly is, is Morrissey uh, only alone um, doing this. And I, it just, there's so many wonderful, hilarious. I have never laughed so much. at so many weird hours of the day. at something that I thought would be deathly dull, but has a kind of like really wonderful, comic i kept trying to there's a very obvious word for the style in which he writes by the way and it's it's not it's juan is one of them but there's a there's a probably french term for this style of of personality um then you know i'm reading it and it never it never hit me um but it will let's say uh, soi de centre just for that i don't know what that means soi disant no that's not soi right. disant no no soi no. disant that that's it like it's the opposite no soi disant is like you'd use that to say the soi disant word. no soi disant is like so called it's not the right oh, okay never mind um uh, but that, you know it's so funny that you say that because that's the word that i kept thinking it's got to be but it's obvious it can't be that because it's just the wrong word but that's the sort of word that i'm thinking of never but stopped me before but yeah, I just I, I've been thinking a lot about that anyway. Um, I, the book sort of, you know, it, it is it is his life story as told by him in this very specific high, high drama overwrought Bronte esque style. And the, 
the the great thing about this the this sort of trap door or I don't know what you call it the or just if you're familiar at all with Emily Bronte or the Bronte sisters or any of this style of like uh, gothic literature, you read this book thinking, oh well, clearly this is a guy raised on Bronte and the Bronte sisters. It's just so deadpan and romantic and melodramatic and self-pitying and why God me it's just but but the but the sort of drollness of of its presentation sort of there's a distance that is also droll that keeps it from being fully committed to that style and then you get to the halfway point and there's this great trip this road trip to the moors and you're just like oh of course he knows but at no point during the reading of this book and when you're finding out his, you know, what he was listening to and watching on TV, does he mention that he was also reading these books? So you think, oh, well, this is just northern. This is just the style of northern England. But no, I mean, he's got to be aware. I mean, he's an English person. You, you can't. It seems un- inconceivable to me that that there's a there's there's no awareness of the Bronte sisters because um, the book is written until he gets to Los Angeles in exactly that style. I yeah I I have no I'm I'm a Philistine and I've not read any of that stuff and so I did not you, you pick need out any of this stuff. you needn't to think about that at all but it is sure. like written in this very specific style that is just great that is great applied to this particular man in this kind of life yeah he has a weird it, it, it's weird because it's very it's very melodramatic but I think it also has a sense of its own melodrama as being performative I mean I guess we're, mm-hmm, Drake mm-hmm. again but like it, back to we're back to that but I think he gets I think he gets that this is sort of like you know that there's you know it's not it's not camp exactly but like he's he's kind of he knows that he's like, like you know that sort of like doing the you know the hand to the forehead as he's writing <laughs> like he's doing that on yes purpose. like yes, he's conscious yes. of that happening yeah um, I like yeah the Moore stuff is great I like that you know the, that sort of that crime story that stra- very strange kind of Manchester crime story. Can um, we take turns reading? I've got uh, just some parts of it because it's just and Dave uh, I hope you don't mind putting up with this because I love Morrissey I, I had been okay. putting off reading this book because I was afraid it was going to disappoint me greatly. No, but you're just telling it, me exactly impossible. what I want to hear. If it's you the Bronte sisters. If, if you even kind of like Morrissey, this is. Yeah. Pretty amazing. Wait, Dave, I'm sorry. Were you making fun of me? No, not at all. <laughs> Again, very just, sincere just in my love okay. of Morrissey and the Bronte sisters. No, I mean, I read this the way I read Wuthering Heights. Like, I just couldn't believe that someone was like, well, at this point, I'm too old to actually have to feel what I felt reading Wuthering Heights. But, you know, if you read Wuthering Heights at the right age, you're just like, I can't believe there's another person who feels this way about life as I do. And that's um, Morrissey. That's the Smiths. And that's, that's Morrissey, right. Yeah. Right. And I don't know when you guys discovered the Smiths, but it was I discovered Morrissey before I discovered the Smiths. But then when I, you know, I had a friend, this guy, Sean Lyons, who hooked me up with, he, you know, he introduced me to the Beatles and to Led Zeppelin and the Smiths. And I was 13 years old and my life was never the same after. And um, this was after the Smiths had like formed released these records and broken up and Morrissey was on the verge of being what he became in the early 90s but oh man uh, it was great I was so I, I felt like a better person you guys when did that happen there's always you? that guy there's always and it's it, yeah I mean, everybody's got one no I mean it's not necessarily a guy but I think it's interesting because it's it, it is it is for me too. or a woman no but no I, yes. I remember 
going to and I was sort of I was aware of him because his solo career was happening, but I think he had yet to put out Smith's had long since broken up, and I think it was it was around the time that like which is a uh, it's, it's your arsenals before Vauxhall and I, right? Yes, yeah, so your arsenal is ninety two. Yeah, it's just starting to happen. It's like ninety one, ninety two, and he played. The Smiths were together. We should say from nineteen eighty two to nineteen eighty seven. Yeah. And then there were there was the more there was his solo yeah so he was well into his solo career by this point and he was a thing like I knew that it was a thing that people were into and it was just something that I had not really sort of fully investigated for whatever reason but I think like we like he was a joke among my friends not like we made fun of him but it was like it was like oh like it's like you know Morrissey's so sad and like we sort of were like it's hilarious that he's so sad as if it was like Eeyore or something of pop music like and it was mm-hmm, so it was mm-hmm. this figure that we were conscious of but then. He uh, he played a free concert in uh, uh, it, it was in Union Square in San Francisco. I remember this really well, and I remember going to meet my my friend Mike Bornick there, who was sort of uh, I'd known him since kindergarten, and it was the like I hadn't seen him in a while. You know that mm-hmm. moment when somebody you haven't like you're sort of like suddenly like people are taking real leaps in terms of their kind of like subcultural identification, like when you're about yeah. like in like early high school and stuff. And like, so like a summer can be forever because they will come back and be a completely different person. It's like, Oh, you were a goth when I, or, you know, when I last <laughs> saw you and like now whatever you're a steampunk or whatever it is, something like there, you know, people will go and come back as something completely different and it'll sort of mess with your head a little bit. And so like I hadn't seen him in a while. And so we went to go meet at this Morrissey concert and he's got the, uh, bi-level skater haircut with the flop that goes over it, which, you know, you know, like where the hair is long on top, but then there's like shaved yes, around yes, the outside, yes. you know, the sort of the, the like the, there's a number of names for that. One of those bomber jackets, like those satin bomber jackets, those zip up satin bomber jackets, like like William Gibson wears or whatever, you know, that's like and and he's smoking like camel straights. And all of this is new to me. And we see Morrissey, and the the Morrissey concert culminates as Morrissey concerts tend to do. He's great. It's ridiculous. It's over the top. Like I, it's an amazing experience. Culminates with his with him, you know, having his shirt torn off by the crowd. And I remember like Morrissey's pale white skin and like claw marks because like you, you could see it even in like you know, the contrast was great enough that even from a distance you could you could make this out. And that was my Morrissey experience. And then he started mm. making some really good solo records that I really got into. Like it was, I feel like there's a sweet spot in the solo careers, like you know, so like you know, your arsenal and like all that. Like, yeah, he would say it's from Vauxhall and and maybe South Paul Grammar. I think Viva Hate is great. That's, that's yeah. No, I've gone back that's and the those first are, one, and I think yeah. it's really good. But there's a difference um, between the ones where he's real. That becomes like a real. I needed him to sound real rock at that time. Like I appreciate mm. Viva Hate more. I needed him to sort of have that sort of uh, that Mick Ronson kind of heaviness mm. and that different mm. the sort of the rockabilly band and you know, you're sort of discovering like that stuff like fashion wise and everything. So that was my and then eventually like I have since gone back to the Smiths, but it was like like as with you, I think it was it was after the fact. There was no you know I did not experience yeah. anything. Uh, Dave, do you have a, a, a Morrissey yeah, conversion I mean, experience? So I grew up in a sure. small town in Central California, and Morrissey was an object of ridicule, except for the Latino community, of course, because he's so beloved um, with with Hispanic people. You know, um, 
And so everyone made fun of him. I'm like, this guy is a clown. He wait, I did not know that about Morrissey and and Latins, by the way. Until yeah. you read this, I mean, you read this book, right? Yeah, no, and, until that, like, I did not he know. It was is, he, he, yeah, I mean, I went the first Morrissey concert I went to was in Oakland. Um, I think the Paramount Theater in Oakland, and it was all Hispanic people and me and my girlfriend at the time. Um, and so just like all of the bros at my high school made fun of Morrissey and how much of a, a, a wuss he was. And so I, I did not even consider liking Morrissey because uh, I didn't want to get beat up. And then I went to college in San Francisco and sort of got into it, started going to this kind of like indie, like mod night, um, like dance club. And I remember hearing um, what difference does it make? And mm. the video was being projected on the screen. And I realized I, re- I, I really like this. This is great. <laughs> and it, it, there's no reason why there was no objective rationale that I can, that I can point to at all. It was just, I just felt this thing wash over me where I realized this is something that I'm going to love for the rest of my life. It was just one of those seminal moments that makes no sense at all. It was just, oh, this is where I was supposed to be when I was in high school. This is what I mm-hmm. should have been listening to and what I should have been doing. But I was too afraid to get slapped around by, you know, whoever thought that Morrissey was inappropriate for me to be listening to. Yeah, I think what happened for me was that once I figured out it's, he's he's a depressed person, but he's really, really funny about it. And I think I just didn't it, – it took me a while to get – how funny it was right. and how witty the things he was saying were and uh, you know how english and how all those uh, it took me a while you had to i had i needed more context to sort to figure that out and like that's what i like about this book too is that he's it's not just about his sadness he has a sense of humor about his sadness and there's like you know amazing turns of phrase in that you know it's it's not oh my just, god He's a, he's a the very... rock criticism in this book is like some of the most beautiful. I'm going to give up writing about. I'm going to quit practicing criticism at all now, <laughs> because <laughs> I read Morrissey writing about Patti Smith, and I just want to. I just want to stop. Don't you hate it when somebody who doesn't do that for a living is does it better than you do? Oh, yes, God. So here here is Morrissey <laughs> writing about Patti Smith. This is like his. It's him as a teenager listening to horses for the first time. He might. I think at this point he is seeing her live. Um, But no, no, he's writing about the experience of listening to horses. Um, Here he is. The fact that you do not look like a pop star in waiting, he's writing about Patti Smith, should not dishearten you because your oddness could become the deciding wind of change for others. There is nothing obvious about Patti Smith, least of all any obvious biological conclusions. (laughs) And this gives its own erotic reality and a shyness of arrogant pride. The past snaps. I have never heard or seen anything like Patti Smith previously, and I have never heard truth established so sincerely. The female voice in rock music had rattled with fathomless depths of insincerity, whereas Patti Smith spoke with a boy's bluntness, and she looked for squabbles wherever she went. Horses pinned all opponents to the ground. It shook the very laws of existence and was part of musical recording and part... It was part... Sorry, I'm going to say this again. It shook with the very laws of existence and was part musical recording and part throwing up. It just, it's just like, come on. Yeah, where did that come from? 
It's, it's like he, I mean, he's from another planet, and he's come here, and he's observing our, our popular culture. That's this crazy. Book is, this book is full of this. Like, when he gets to Los Angeles and is hanging out with, like, Lipsinka, his, his descriptions of hanging out with Lipsinka are also fantastic. Um, I mean, Alex, I cannot thank you enough for making me read this book. I would never have read it. Morrissey is, like... Morrissey is a part of my soul, and yet there was something that I just don't want to know anything about the people who make my music or my movies, and this is an ignorance that I've, been, I've consigned myself to, and every time I talk to you, I think I have, I'm wasting my life because you are a treasured and, and, and great reader of, of biographies and autobiographies, and I love that about you, and I wish that I heeded your advice more, although I would say like at least a quarter of what I've read in my life has been from you telling me to read it but this i'm so glad that you are my friend and podcast partner because it is just one of the most pleasurable books i've ever read it is it is such a joy there is so much beauty and truth and like just maybe even wrong-headed righteousness in it but even that is like all of the passages on meat morrissey of course being a very famous vegetarian um are just you know they're just they're they're lunatic and yet utterly sincere and not wrong at the same time um not entirely wrong uh i don't know i just thank you alex you're you're very welcome uh, that's I'm, i really appreciate that that's really nice of you to say uh i'm i'm glad that i could t- just be the conduit for you experiencing this i the one thing that Dave I, pre-thanks you by the way yeah i'm going out and buying it today i uh all right. There's uh, so two things. You mentioned him sort of being from another planet and coming to observe our culture. There is a moment in this book where there's a sliding doors moment in this book where, like, had things gone a different way, it is the greatest thing that would have happened, and it's the greatest alternate history story ever. Which is that at some point, and I forget exactly what the circumstances are. He comes to visit. Uh, in uh, I think like 1979 or something, he goes to visit his sister who's moved to the United States. He goes to visit her oh. in Denver. And De- yeah, yeah, yeah. She's moved to Denver for some reason. He wants to experience America, so he goes to visit her. And then, but then she's you know like she's moved from wherever she was to Denver, which is a very different experience. And Morrissey applies for a job at Target. <laughs> it is my favorite thing that I have ever heard. That that is a possibility. I mean, he never becomes Morrissey, but imagine the world where Morrissey just gets he does not he does not get hired. They say take one look at him and they're like get lost. But imagine I don't know how you don't hire that handsome that handsome you know twenty yeah. something year old man. He did not have a lot of retail experience. Apparently, it sounds like uh, you know things like that. I uh, there's one thing that I want to read from, and it's it, it's weird because we've just read two. Uh, this will now be the second uh, Smith related passage from this book and i think you know maybe there's a secret history going on here but what the thing that i love about this you read you read the thing about patty smith i love this is it's an intellectual autobiography and it talks a lot about his influences and there are sort of obvious ish influences like patty smith and you know he talks a lot about the great stuff about the new york dolls and you know all those things that we kind of know are thing either we know from reading things about morrissey that he was into those things or it makes sense but he also talks about a lot about things like pre-pop music things that he encountered that are sort of fascinating. My favorite part uh, is pretty early on where he's talking about uh, the TV show Lost in Space. 
Oh, that passage is so good. And specifically Jonathan Again, Harris's I am, performance. I'm getting out of criticism. That is Is that where he developed his whole persona was from Dr. Smith? Dr. Smith. <laughs> Jonathan Harris is Dr. Smith. I mean, kind of, yeah, oh apparently. Like, let me just sort of like, it, it's at least if it didn't develop, it at least kind of turned on a light bulb for him of some kind. He saw something there and sort of he recognized like, basically, he says that he would rather have been Don West Major West, the, the, you know, the, it's uh, Mark Goddard is the name of the actor. It's the Matt LeBlanc character in the remake. It's the tough, cool guy who's like, you know, whatever. But that he recognizes that the source of all the energy and all the excitement is Dr. Smith, which if you've ever watched that show is absolutely true. Dr. Yes. Smith just camping it up on 100, but every, no one else is interesting. Like he there, was a, a cookie from Empire before Empire. <laughs> he was the cookie. Dr. Smith is the cookie. Or cookie is the Dr. Smith of Empire. Whichever way. That is exactly, if we. that is the episode title. There we go. Um, here we go. I cannot miss Lost in Space, where the secrets of masculinity are meted out in the ping pong clash between Dr. Smith and Major West. Mrs. Danvers facing a wide receiver's grit in two worlds mm. that can never meet. The masculine man hates the feminine man because soft is the enemy of hard. Dr. Smith's voice is the caustic cattiness of a tetchy dowager rising in pitch as each line ends. Hands aflutter with, away with you, my child, intolerance. Major West, on the other hand, will kick to kill. My notepad resting on my lap takes the scribbles of unspoken truth. Effeminate men are very witty, whereas macho men are duller than death. Oh my God! Yeah, <laughs> like seriously, uh, I'm not even I'm not even going to qualify it by saying if you like Morrissey or if you kind of like Morrissey, if you'd like to like just read. You should read this book, no matter if you like books. Just read this book; it's really, really great. But if you do like Morrissey, uh, hold on to your hat uh, full of hollow. Um, we'll we'll be back with the jam of the week. So you guys, Leslie Gore died this week, and uh, there's only one option when Leslie Gore is no longer on this earth, but to dedicate the jam of the week to her biggest hit. And it's like the drums on this song, Quincy Jones produced it. The drums on it are great. The vocal is immaculate. And it's short, it's sweet, and the percussion, the drums, the it, it just... It's a great song, and that kind of like, I don't know, I don't want to presume anything, but it sounds like a song that Morrissey would secretly like, even if secret, even if like another part of him was throwing up a little bit. It's just a really great, well-produced song, and it also happens to be a jam. I've never thought of this as a jam, but you just pointed out that the drums, they do kind of go. I don't know. Who's go. The, I've been tapping my feet this whole time, guys. It's true. Who is the uh, Who is the drummer on this? Do we know? Should we, should we uh, shout him I out? I don't know. We can. I mean, I, I got it. Hold I'll. On. But it has that vibe, like that sort. Like, what's the? I forget the actual title of it, but it's there's that uh, that uh, really really dope uh, Quincy Jones game show theme that Dream Warriors sampled. Speaking of Canadian, oh yeah, yeah. And so it has that same kind of like because he was probably using like jazz guys. Let's see, we'll figure it out. Anyway, it's it's Quincy's first hit. Anyway, Leslie Gore, Leslie Gore, Joe Fuentes. You're awesome. You make every show sound so great. David Jacoby, you keep the trains running on time. Dave Schilling, 
I just said your name wrong. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It's pronounced Schrilling. Schrilling. This was lovely. I had a it's great, great time. That's great. Uh, you're going to come back, right? Yes. Um, and Alex, you're welcome to you're join the us any, anytime for Empire-related matters. What or, a dream. Or other, other matters. Um, anyway, thanks for listening, you guys. Uh, and we will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on podcast.